instead of just being born somewhere and you're stuck living there, kind of finding your home base, finding your community, and then the ability to be flexible and even moving around from there and uh, just having these amazing experiences. guys, my name is Milka Kraszowski and welcome to episode 80 of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. I am back today in Cincinnati after spending uh, close to a month in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, some friends of ours have a cabin there and it was just amazing to get out of the city uh, like I said, for close to a month and go hang out by the lake. Uh, it was awesome. I actually got to take some breaks, uh, some work breaks. I would jump on a jet ski. It's maybe one of the best things that I discovered uh, during this trip was that there's nothing to cure the sort of two, three o'clock in the afternoon uh, energy slump than a 10, 15 minute ride on the jet skis. It's sort of phenomenal, uh, absolutely beats uh, any espresso shot or anything like that. So uh, I'm glad to be back, kind of get back into the rhythm of things, uh, have my setup here. Uh, and so that is why, if you noticed, uh, we took a little break from the podcast. I was really hoping to not take a break, but it just happened that we didn't have enough episodes in the bank. Uh, to push them out on time, and it just wasn't going to be as good of a quality as I was hoping that it would be, so we just decided to take a little break for a week or two there. Um, So now we're back. I have some awesome guests coming up, uh, and starting off today, uh, coming back uh, on a strong note, today uh, on the podcast, I'm joined by Dave Williams, who is the co-founder and CEO of Nomad X, which offers affordable month-to-month accommodations for digital nomads and remote workers. Now, while at the moment Nomad X is only available in Portugal, Dave and his team are working hard to expand to more countries and become the go-to place for location-dependent professionals for finding rentals around the world. So currently, a lot of people use Airbnb, uh, but what Dave and the team have been able to figure out is how to actually reduce the costs and and often uh, provide an amazing experience, an amazing place for uh, digital nomads and location-dependent entrepreneurs to stay at uh, for half the price of Airbnb a lot of times. And uh, I had a lot of fun talking with Dave, uh, and we discussed how he got interested in the digital nomad movement after moving to Portugal and selling his previous business in the U.S., and where he sees the future of remote work and the digital nomad movement going. So I'm super excited for that interview, Uh, but before we jump into that, I do want to share a new five-star review with you guys. This one is from JacobLT99, who says, this podcast is totally underrated. Miko interviews some of the biggest names in the remote workspace, and their topics are always super interesting. He's a great host who chooses even better guests, and I always learn something new in each episode. Whether you're just starting out as a nomad or you're a seasoned vet, this podcast is for you. Uh, Jacob, I got to say thank you so much for that review. That is an awesome review, and I really appreciate it, and I'm so happy that you're enjoying uh, the podcast. If you're listening uh, or watching this on YouTube and are also enjoying the pod, uh, please head over to wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, preferably uh, Apple Podcasts, because that 
you know, Apple still runs the game in terms of podcasting, but we'll see what happens with Spotify. I'm really keeping an eye on Spotify here uh, in the next couple of years. I think they're going to uh, come from behind and uh, kind of take over. But head on over to wherever you listen to podcasts uh, and leave a review. It's seriously one of the uh, best ways to promote this show uh, or tell a friend about uh, this podcast. Uh, always glad to have people uh, refer the podcast. So without further ado, guys, let's jump into this awesome interview with Dave Williams. All right. Well, Dave, welcome to the show, man. I'm super excited to have you here. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your course, LinkedIn man. message. It's a surprise to hear from you. <laughs> I know. I was. I don't usually use LinkedIn very often, and I'm always like, "Is this person gonna reply to me?" I f- I feel like you know my profile is like super weak, and my name's Mikko Kershawski, and they're like, "All right, who is this weirdo messaging me on LinkedIn?" I mean, I'm a, I'm a little old school, so I I've kind of caught on Facebook. So I never really adopted Instagram or Snapchat, or I tried out the TikTok for a few days, but it was way too addictive for me. And oh yeah, really? Facebook. I I used to do some on Twitter, but not so much on Twitter anymore. Um, yeah, mostly just on Facebook, I would say. And then LinkedIn's good. I, you know, I've been using it a lot more now that I'm more active with the business. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, try and get back to people that, 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 that communicate with me, at least in the same language. I get a lot of people sending messages in Portuguese and stuff. So I'm not That's so good funny. if it comes in a foreign language, but <laughs> in English, I so- usually get people. Funny thing about, uh, so I was trying out TikTok as well, just like, you know, everybody was saying, like, you need to get on TikTok. So my girlfriend actually works for uh, a business coach and he was like, hey, I want you to go and investigate TikTok, kind of figure out what's going on over there. And so she was like playing with it and posted these videos. She basically just took like Instagram story videos from our travels and just kind of like redid them a little and put them up on TikTok. And we're driving back from Detroit because we were in Detroit driving back down to Cincinnati where I'm at at the moment. And she's like, Mika, one of these videos is like blowing up. And she was getting hundreds of thousands of views on this video within hours. And I think within like two or three days, she hit a million views. So she's like officially has like a viral TikTok video. She's like one of those like stories now. And it was just this silly like, in, like video of, um, so we flew to Taiwan, I believe, or I can't really remember where it was, but we got on one of those um, Hello Kitty flights. You ever heard of these before? It's like a flight that's all Hello Kitty'd out, and she took videos, and that's what we posted. It was pretty funny. So it's real. The the viralness of TikTok's real. All right. Yeah, I met the guy. I was actually I, I hiked the Camino to Santiago in Spain, and one of the guys that was doing it with us was a guy from I think he was from Japan or somewhere. Maybe he was from, and he was the manager for Hello Kitty. Like he was like the representative. And it, Did he just hand crazy. out Hello Kitty stuff to everyone? Yeah. I guess that's a big job over there. <laughs> I guess so. Well, cool, man. Like, like you said, you know, you are in Portugal at the moment and I'm super excited to have you on because you are uh, one of the founders of Nomad X, which is a new company, which is trying to do a lot of stuff around co-living uh, for digital nomads, which is obviously uh, very near and dear to me. But one of the really cool things I noticed was uh, I went over to your website and I saw Gary V talked about nomad x what what was that how did that happen oh yeah um well yeah my background's really in ad tech and services like i, I started my first company back in 98 it was a search engine marketing technology company that i sold and then i started the net the last company was in social media we were kind of ad tech and services based out of new york um and gary worked in one of the um conference rooms for one of our competitors 
And so I have this, so I think he's very familiar with my previous business, which we sold in 2012. So one of the guys we used to work with in New York works with Gary through uh, VaynerX, I think through his holding company or one of his agencies. And so he had reached out to me to get some advice on remote working. And I, I saw that he was connected with Gary. So I would say, would you mind connecting with Gary? We had a great conversation and then he agreed to come on and do a Facebook live with us. So yeah, he oh, it was really awesome. And he, he gave us like that awesome quote, which we weren't expecting at all. So we're going to, we're going to maximize it, you know? But <laughs> yeah, sure. he was great. He was super friendly. He got on there. You know, I think he really believes in this remote work, digital nomad movement, which is really cool. So you know, we're hoping to maybe do more with him, but we don't want to overstep our welcome at all. So, Right. Well, the crazy thing is that I think historically he hasn't been very interested in the remote work thing. He's always said, like, I think it's baloney. Like he does, you know, he likes to be around his people. But I think since COVID, I watched a few of his, um, you know, he was doing those like tea with Gary V things. And mm -hmm. I think he's changed his mind. Like he's kind of said like, hey, this is actually a lot better than I thought it was. Really? That's awesome. Yeah, it sounded like when he was kind of hyped on it. You know, I think he's excited about our business model. Obviously, it comes mm -hmm. down to execution. But um, yeah, it was really cool. We had him on. We have a group, uh, a Nomad X uh, Facebook group that's really active with like 10,000 people. And I'd say like 75% of the group is super active. So we usually have on like what you're doing, some top digital nomads. But then we also bring on some VIP speakers. And Gary mm -hmm. was one of the speakers that came on, which was amazing. So yeah, we're hoping to do more of this kind of stuff. And is that a public group that anybody can join? It's a private group. So yeah, okay. once you join, it just keeps all the conversations within the group. And it's just like a thriving group of remote workers and digital nomads. So yeah, maybe we can get you on the show next. Yeah, for sure. I'd, I'd love to. Yeah. My business partner, Ali, runs it. He's based out of Bali. So he's got a lot of like awesome connections with the nomad scene. He's got all the mm. tattoos. He's probably the guy you wanted to have on this podcast, but I took him instead. Hey, <laughs> just I, I love this up. conversation. So the, this, this feels right. This feels right. All right. Cool. How did, uh, so how did, I'm curious, you know, how did you said that you had a company that you sold um, in 2012? How did you first discover the digital nomad movement? How did that happen for you? Uh, yeah, it was interesting because yeah, I've grown up in the digital space. So yeah, I started my career really back 96, 97 in the internet space. Um, you know, I've started a couple companies. I've sold both those companies uh, were sold. My second one was sold for more than the first one. But my first company has really been the most successful. It's a company called 360i, which is one of the like number one top five digital agencies in the US, number one for search marketing, number one for performance, performance marketing. Um, according to Forrester. So, uh, but after we sold our last company, this company called Blink Media, uh, we were one of the first five uh, companies to get Facebook ad API access back in like 2009. So we we're very early. So we got a quick jump on the market and we sold in 2012 to a company called Gannett, which is a big uh, newspaper conglomerate. They also own like USA Today, cars.com, a bunch of digital assets. Um, and after that, I left about mid 2013 and my wife and I just decided, yeah, let's just start traveling the world. So we traveled the world for a full year. And once the year was over, we we're like, wow, that was amazing. But it just felt like my freshman year in college. I was like, I've got a lot more to do. I feel like the journey's just getting started. So we just, we continued the journey for a few more years. And then we just ended up here in Portugal on our adventures. And we just, on our journey, we started running into a lot of the digital nomads. So it was interesting and we saw this pain point that they were having in terms of finding midterm housing. It was you know, easy to find the short term or you could find a hostel, but it was really hard to find housing that they were looking for, you know, to be productive, get work done. 
And then also community was an issue as well. So we had this idea uh, when my wife and I moved here to Portugal, uh, we attended one of the big web summit conferences and we just saw all this entrepreneurial activity happening here in Portugal and all the excitement. And just being an early stage entrepreneur myself, I started getting excited again because I felt like Portugal reminded me a lot of the States back in 1996 during the first dot-com wave. So I started getting excited and uh, yeah, started this company back in 2017, actually with a couple college students um, who were going to the university that I graduated from. So I started off as the investor. Um, the business model evolved. The, the two founders uh, eventually left the company and I just took over as the CEO last year. So we've been doing a lot of development. We've kind of shifted the business model a little bit and uh, which has kind of brought us to where we are today. So it's, it's been quite a journey and uh, yeah, super cool, man. We love hanging out with the nomads. We think like the movement's really cool. It's really an extension of my whole digital career, you know, starting in search and then getting into social. And now this idea of you can live and work from anywhere is just amazing. Yeah, I think I've often said that I think what's really what gets you into the movement first is ideas like, oh, I can travel and be anywhere and work. But I think what keeps you in it is, for me at least, it's this feeling of being on the edge. Like, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, so people listening are probably like, God, like, stop talking about this. But I think it's so true. Like, a lot of the people who are digital nomads, they are pretty interesting people. Uh, they kind of are exploring topics that aren't mainstream yet. They tend to be really early adopters. And for people like myself, who like literally thrive on that. It's so fun to be around these like super interesting people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's, it's super cool. And that's one of the things with our platform is we want to connect the digital nomads with the local community because we feel like there's a lot of lot to gain for the locals by, you know, hosting a digital nomad, whether it's in a co-living space or in their apartment, you know, or just if they're renting mm -hmm. the apartment from you, you can build a great relationship. So the host is a big part of the equation. Uh, for us. But yeah, they're super interesting people, super responsible. I think a lot of people think of nomads as these kids on the beach, you know, working a couple hours a day, but really, you know, they're working hard all day. It's almost like a graduate school program. You know, they, they might go out and do some partying, but generally they're super responsible because they don't want the journey to end. I think, you know, right. And so yeah, it's been super cool. As somebody who sold a company and you kind of traveled around, I'm curious, did like you're an entrepreneur, clearly entrepreneur personality. How long did it take for you to say, all right, this retirement life is not for me? Because I thought like I had that dream when I was coming up early on that I was like, you know what? I can't wait to one day make a ton of money and then retire and then just sit on the beach all day. And then I got the chance to sit on the beach for like a couple months. And I was like, all right, I think like eight weeks in, I was like, I'm, I can't do this. Like, I can't just like hang out on the beach. Did you have a similar feeling or, you know, like, did, or could you do that for longer? Well, I think that that's what got us traveling is, you know, we didn't want to just be sitting on one beach. We wanted to explore the world. <laughs> so I think that was really the, you know, the impetus for us was to get out there, see the world. My wife and I, we love adventure sports, whether it's, you know, snowboarding, we're learning how to surf over here. We love like, you know, we love like big hiking adventures. And so that was like a lot of the fun was getting out, but not just going to the big cities, but always including something pretty adventurous in our travels. And uh, yeah, a lot of my friends, they're all back and they're working the nine to five grind or they have their own companies that they're working on. So we go home, it was like kind of disappointing because everyone wanted us to come home to hang out. And then we got home to hang out and everyone's busy working or with their family and kids. So, <laughs> so we decided, okay, we're done with this. They can come visit us in Portugal. <laughs> we'll probably see go. them a lot more actually. So that's what we did. We just like decided to sell our place in like a couple of weeks. And then Portugal's got a great visa program. We moved here. 
And now we've got access to all of Europe, which is our main objective is to, we've got our dog here with us. We want to do a lot of traveling through Europe and exploring, especially more of Eastern Europe, which I haven't spent much time mm. in. I might have to come visit you. <laughs> Dude, uh, yeah, so we're, we can definitely talk about Eastern Europe. That is one of my favorite topics. But did you, I'm curious, you said that uh, Portugal has a good visa program. Did you go through like their golden visa program? Like, is that kind of like what you went through? Yes, they have a, a golden visa program. And that's more from, from a real estate perspective. So, you know, like we're, we live in a kind of a, in a more of like a fisherman surfing village. So it's considered more of an urbanization. So if you live in the city, I think it's a minimum of 500,000 purchase um, if you're living in an urbanization area like minimum I think like 400 once you do that you only have to stay in the country for like two weeks out of the year and then you have the ability to ex explore all of Europe that was kind of our original intention was just to come here spend a couple weeks and just travel the rest of the time but then we got into the business mode a little bit more and uh, you know so that's been kind of locking me down not locking me down but we're definitely spending more time in Portugal than we imagined but in the winter time we tend to go uh, travel to like really nice resorts like we, we spent two, two winters in Chamonix. We just spent the last winter in Austria in a place called Innsbruck. So yeah, we like, we like to snow mat it in the winter time. <laughs> so have you, if you like to snow mat it, have you heard of Bonsco before? I have actually, yeah, a lot of people have been really talking positive about okay. it. So. Yeah, I, uh, so I've had both founders on this podcast, Matthias and uh, Uwe, and I actually got a chance to, cause I'm, it's so funny cause I'm from Bulgaria. I've known about Bonsko my entire life. And it's this like sleepy little village that just has really good skiing that people have been going to for years. And then these crazy Germans, I, Uwe is Austrian, but they came in and they like built this co-working space. Now everybody's talking about it. So I got to go and visit it. And it, I think they've done, I've been really impressed with the work they've done there. The community they've built, there's people coming in and like buying property and staying in, in Bonsko. So uh, I've been really impressed. If, if you like, all the snowboarding skiing I, I definitely think you should check it out i think you'd love it awesome man yeah i've heard some great things about it i'm, I'm friends with a uh, traveling with Kristen. i don't know if you watch any of mm -hmm. her youtube yep. channels i think she spent a little time there and she had some great reviews as well so it's definitely on the list man <laughs> yeah well i mean yeah i think and i'm really excited to say to hear you say that you are interested in you know traveling in eastern europe what makes you interested uh, in that part of the world Oh, we haven't spent much time there yet. So that's one of the main reasons we've, we've spent a lot of time in Western Europe, but also just you know, kind of reading through what's going on in the digital nomad communities and hearing all the really positive feedback of all the different places in uh, kind of Western Europe and, you know, where you're located in Romania and some of these places. Yeah, we're definitely like, we want to check that out. Unfortunately, like right now we've got our dogs. We're mostly like when we travel, we usually do by camper van. But yeah, it's mm. definitely like on our list. Like we want to spend more time in Eastern Europe. That's like one of our big objectives now that we're here in Europe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, um, so, I mean, I've been to Thailand, I've been to Bali, I've been to these places, but I find that Eastern Europe, I think is this special mix of like, it's affordable. It has that off, uh, affordability factor, but it's also Western it's European. So it's a little more familiar yet. Eastern Europe still has a little bit of that edge that people kind of look for and enjoy in Southeast Asia. So, so I think it is, you know, like a really great location for people to go check out. Um, yeah. You know, like you said, Romania, uh, I have friends that have been there that really liked it. I don't really consider Hungary Eastern Europe, but it's definitely more leaning that way. I think Budapest, if you haven't been to Budapest, like, holy shit, that's one, that's like my top city. It's, it's epic. Um, so yeah, I definitely recommend all of those places. And when you do come through Bulgaria, let me know. And, and if I'm not there, uh, I, I'll at least give you some tips. 
but how did it, so, you know, you're, you sold your company, you decided that you, you know, you've been traveling, you wanted to kind of get back into the business thing. How did Nomad X really, you know, get started? Yeah. So, um, well, like I said, we, we came here to Portugal and we attended the first web summit and that's really mm-hmm. where I saw this big push around entrepreneurship here in the city. Um, and I've been accumulating all these ideas in our travels. And this was kind of like the accumulation of all these ideas that I had written in notebooks and sort of meeting people and just kind of like also just going with the flow and just kind of seeing what felt right. Um, and also just seeing where we saw pain points and product that we would want to use if we were out there, you know, for us, we could afford to spend a little more and we could afford to pay the Airbnb prices. But when you looked at the difference between an Airbnb midterm rental versus like what a local was paying, it's just such a significant difference. And so we're trying to like close that gap basically mm-hmm. and find places for people that are much more affordable. Um, and yeah, really make the lifestyle affordable. It seemed like in the nomad space, there were a lot of companies going after more of the VIP nomads, you know, companies like Rome and some of these co-living mm-hmm. spaces where it's more in the thousand to 2000 range, you know, companies like uh, remote year or hackers paradise are amazing, but you know, for nomads, most nomads don't want to spend 2000 a month or they might do it right. for a little bit and might do it once in a while, but generally they're looking for those local prices. So that's really, what we're trying to bring to the table. Plus the idea of being able to connect with a local, you know, with, with a local community. So for us, when we're traveling, like we want to be able to meet up with local people to go snowboarding. Because when you're traveling, at, you know, you're there for a couple months, you're not a tourist and you're not a local. So how do you actually make those connections faster? So you're not you know, there kind of feeling the place out for a couple few weeks before you start building a community and getting connected into the local, um, the local experience. How did you go about actually like, because, you know, obviously you, you built a platform that where you can, you know, people can come onto a platform and rent spaces, but how did you actually like start doing that? And the reason I ask this is like my very first startup uh, here in the US was actually a two-sided marketplace, like what you've built. And uh, I'm never doing that again because it's like, the, it's like the business model out of hell in my opinion. It's so difficult to do that two-sided marketplace. So what, what was the, your strategy around you know, doing that, like, like building up that two-sided you know, business model? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, you're, you're right. It is super difficult because I've, I've done a lot of startups. I've been involved in a lot of companies and uh, this by far has been the most challenging to get off the ground. Like the other ones got launched and like we were making money pretty quickly. This one is like, you've got to get in there. You've got to kind of figure out the category. Then all of a sudden you've got to build supply. Then you've got to kind of connect it with the demand. Meanwhile, building all the technology while all this is happening. So I would, I, you know, I would always sort of highly discourage anyone from doing it. But now that I'm in the middle of it, it is definitely like, uh, I mean, it's been a learning experience. I definitely feel like it may be, a, a, you know, a few years ago, I had thoughts of never running another company again. And getting in with this one has definitely made me more certain of that. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's super challenging. And now I know why there's not so many companies out doing it. And it is, it's very, very difficult because you need the scale. You know, you need to have the inventory. You've got to have the, the technology has to be good. You've got to have the customer service, you know, the processing of the payments. It's like really, really complex. The whole thing start to finish. We started off like really focused. Well, we first started off doing more of like a, a service oriented business. So we started off with more of a remote year hacker paradise sort of model. And then we kind of pivoted from that because we saw like a lot of nomads just didn't want to pay the prices. Um, so yeah, we basically got into it and we started building supply. We, it was very difficult to figure out how to get the supply because we have to get a lot of it. 
Um, but we mm -hmm. mostly use online marketing to attract the supply, you know, processing it through the platform, verifying the listings, and then matching that supply with demand. So at the moment, we've got like 2,000 listings on the platform, which has grown from like 1,000 at the end of last year. Um, and now, you know, obviously the supply was never an issue before, but now the supply is an issue uh, because of the, the, the pandemic. But we definitely see like this huge like uh, tidal wave of interest kind of following the pandemic now that everyone's working remotely. And I think the next step is what people are going to realize, like, I don't have to work in my living room. I don't have to work in a co-working space. I can work. I can work from what you know, the guy at Airbnb was saying is I can work from any home.com, you know, and that's a domain we own. So you, you type in work from any home.com, but nomad X, but yeah, that's kind of the idea. You can really work from anywhere. And a lot of the nomads we find want to work in the cities because I think they want the connection of the community, which was kind of a surprise to me. Cause I figured like a lot of people would want to be in these more remote areas to go surfing or go snowboarding. And that's what I'm looking for. But I'm finding a lot of the younger generation, they want to be in Lisbon, they want to be in Porto, they want to be in Prague, they want to be in Budapest. You know, mm -hmm. it's like that, that's where the audience wants to be. And maybe that's changing a little bit now with the pandemic, but we're still seeing that as like really important because people want to be connected. They want to be able to meet other people. They want to be able to date, build relationships. So, yeah, and, and Lisbon has a super active community of digital nomads. So that's what makes Portugal so attractive, I think, is not only is the cost of living great, the lifestyle's great, tremendous entrepreneurship and everything else. But on top of that, they have an amazing digital nomad community here. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think most digital nomads want to be around others. And I think that it comes from like lack of like, like physical community, you know, like when you're living in a city or you're going to a job, you kind of have those like, you know, relationships around you. And when you're traveling, a lot of times you don't have that. And it can be really easy to get lonely. And I think that's one of the other really big pain points for digital nomads is that like loneliness factor. And also I think it's really cool to build friendships with people who are digital nomads and then get to like meet them around the world. Like that's one of my like favorite things about this movement, but it does come with the difficulty of like, Hey, you know, we just met in this place and we really hit it off and we feel like we can be really good friends, but you're leaving in a week and a half, you know? So I think that that has a lot to do with why people want to be in cities and around other people. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned that, you know, one of the big things that you guys are trying to solve is this cost barrier that Airbnb has, which I totally agree with is like, you know, you're going to be paying like way more than local places. And there's all these hacks, you know, like a lot of people get uh, places on, you know, like Facebook groups where they like look for people who have local, um, you know, apartments uh, at local prices. But how do you make sure that the people that are listing their properties on NomadX are not, you know, constantly increasing prices to the point where it does end up being, you know, as expensive as like an Airbnb, for example? Like, how do you make sure that that doesn't happen? Uh, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, we've done some analysis. So when, when someone's listing a property on NomadX, I'd say about half our properties are on other platforms. About the other half are just on NomadX. So those could be bedrooms. It could be small co-living spaces. Uh, but we just did an analysis looking at all of the listings on our platform that are also on Airbnb. And we saw typically like our prices are coming in at about on average 50% or more uh, less expensive than Airbnb. So we try and stay up to, so we try and stay up on it just by looking at the, like analyzing our prices versus Airbnb. I think that where you run into the biggest issue is during like prime time during summer months. So when you get into mm -hmm. like here in Portugal, like typically like July and August, especially August, it's super busy with tourists. 
So then you're going to see like the Airbnbs are going to want to, you know, the Airbnb owners are going to want to check up the prices or they might just want to take short-term rentals. Uh, but generally, yeah, the prices went, have been going down through the pandemic, although we are starting to see them pop up again. And uh, yeah, if anything, our, our affordability is, is, is even more than it was before. So we try and keep an eye on that because that's super important to our business. If all of a sudden Airbnb is the same price as us, we kind of lose that, that positioning that we're going for. We really want to be kind of more the low cost leader in the midterm segment, you know, for specifically for remote workers and digital nomads. With our start in Portugal, but we also start, we plan to expand into other places throughout the world. We're, we're currently looking at, you know, even some, whether it's through an investment in the company directly, even a strategic merger, potentially with another company to add inventory in other locations more quickly. But yeah, we definitely see with the pandemic disrupting things, there's a lot of opportunities for strategic more strategic type opportunities. So we're evaluating some strategic partnerships. We've also been approached by a buyer, and then we're also kind of looking at the path on our own as well. So we're, we're kind of, you know, it creates sort of, an, I, I love it when the, you know, I've been through dot-com fallout, I've been through 9-11, I've been through the 2008 session, but nothing like this before, but it does kind of prepare you. And I think the main thing for us is, you know, to the extent these other companies were really thriving for a while, now everyone's struggling, so they all kind of feel our own pain <laughs> that we've been feeling right, here. Right. So it's almost like someone's sandcastle that just got wiped out by the wave, you know, where like we're able to start rebuilding. We can hire people easier. The cost for salaries is less. And then you have all these Airbnb and Uber people that are out there now looking for, for jobs. So that puts us in, I think, a strong position to be able to come out of the pandemic much stronger and more competitive against this industry. But we'll see, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I've been talking with a lot of people who are, you know, like just getting started. And one of the things that I keep reminding them is like all of this that we know right now, the digital nomad movement, all of this was not a thing before the 08 recession. Like it didn't exist, you know, and I think in many ways it kind of kickstarted that because, I mean, you know, people like Pat Flynn, for example, who uh, he was an architect and lost his job and then started what is now one of the biggest, you know, websites, you know, about online business, smart passive income. Uh, so, you know, I think that a lot of these times are very, very tough, but they can create a lot of opportunity. And also, like you were mentioning, there's all of these big businesses that have had huge overhead that are now getting hit really hard. And if you're small and nimble, you know, this is the best time to kind of like outmaneuver those big dogs that are kind of like, you know, are, are really struggling. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I love that. So just being like a startup entrepreneur and I've always bootstrapped my, my own companies, mm -hmm. whether that's through my own funding or just through reinvestment back into the business. Uh, but yeah, I love it when the economy is not doing well, because I feel like <laughs> a lot of companies, they need like Airbnb has dropped all these initiatives. So that, mm -hmm. you know, they are kind of getting into our space a little bit. So that does have us concerned, but to the extent they've got to focus their energy, they've got to drop a focus, you know, companies like booking or companies like some of these other ones out there, all of a sudden they realize, well, they're not in this mid to long-term segment. Airbnb just got into it. Well, there's this company Nomad X, you know? So I usually like to start the companies, get into the category during the fast growth stage, and then usually try and exit within a three to five year period before all the big guys come in and start like mm -hmm. just wiping you out from a, you know, from an investment perspective. Sure. Now, along with price, one of the things that I'm always like interested in when I'm like booking Airbnbs, for example, or whatever it may be to stay in is like, is this actually a good place for me to work from? And like, is the Wi-Fi good? Does it have all of the like amenities, quote unquote, that I need in order to work, um, you know, from home? Is that something that you guys look at? Like, are you making sure that all the properties have good Wi-Fi? And, and if you are looking into it, like, how do you keep track of that? And how do you share that with, with people possibly renting it? 
Yeah, so the Wi-Fi, I mean, obviously that's important for the remote workers. So we definitely make, you know, we have the different criteria and one of them is checking the Wi-Fi speed. We definitely want to see like minimum 20 megabyte, you know, um, speed. And so we've got all that on the website as well. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like that's an important part. We try and make it super self-explanatory, but we also allow the guests to connect directly with the host, which is kind of unique. Mm. Like a lot of the websites won't allow you to talk to the host until you've booked it, until you've arrived at the location. We find for a lot of the nomads, they want to meet the host, they want to visit the property, you know, so we try and keep it extremely transparent. You know, at the moment, we're charging more of like a affordable, very affordable percentage, but we're also looking maybe at a membership model where once, once nomads pay a small membership fee, then they're in and then they basically can book any of the apartments at cost with no, with no fees built in for Nomad X. And then also adding a lot of uh, partnership value. So through companies like Selena, we have a strategic partnership here in Portugal and being able to get discounts at their locations uh, through legal advice. If you're looking to make a move to Portugal for a visa or something, co-working spaces and a lot of other things as well. So just try and package it all together. We think there's an opportunity to move to more of like a subscription type model for our platform. And especially as we start to scale and get into a lot more locations. So that's kind of an exciting kind of new development for us. Yeah. I've always been very like, intrigued by the idea of membership housing or something like that, like where I can pay, like, let's say like $2,000 a month. And I know that I'm paying this amount, but then I don't have to pay anymore. Like when I go to places, for example, and like, yes, I might go to a more expensive place where that'd be almost at cost. But then when I go to a cheaper place, the membership per month is still the same. And then you occupy, obviously that'd be really difficult to pull off. But it, I think like, I do agree with you that if there's something like a membership where subscription and like you almost you know this is how much it's gonna cost you know it's going out like that would be awesome and and more into that like co-working global world that we all like you know uh, almost like this like magical place uh in the world in the future yeah i mean it's it's, it's amazing i mean we really want to you know, transform and revolutionize revolutionize the way people live work and travel the world really i mean i think at the end of the day we're in a we're in a time where we're going through significant changes and becoming a much more globalized world in some ways, in some ways not, obviously, but we think, yeah, we think like this idea of having, you know, a digital nomad visa where you can travel anywhere around the world for as long as you want. We really think that's the future. Um, we're thinking, you know, this, this whole pandemic is just gonna expedite that quite a bit. Um, and so, yeah, we're just like super excited about it and just trying to come up with new innovative ways for and pricing models. So people aren't having to pay 15% every month or to pay a one, a first month fee of, 350 euro in an apartment. So just trying to keep it super affordable, also having a cool group of people. So it's like, okay, if you're an Airbnb, it's great, but they're all short-term tourists. So you meet someone on an Airbnb experience, you're probably not going to see them again. Whereas with Nomad X, come into our community and these people are staying on average for a few months at a time. And then, like you said, you know, you're making friends for life and you're meeting these people in other places around the world. It's just like, uh, I definitely see it as the future. You know, and it's, it's generally a younger audience too. It's you know, 25 to 40 year olds, generally average age around 32, pretty evenly split mm -hmm. here in Portugal between men and women. Um, but yeah, we just think it's like a super cool futuristic way of living and working. And like you're doing here, like you don't have to be in the United States. It's great. Your parents brought you to the United States and you have a U.S. citizenship, but now it's like you can live and work from anywhere, but you can always go back home and visit the parents if you want to. Right. But return. It's amazing. So yeah, I mean, it just, it opens up the world to everyone. And I think like having been in the digital industry myself and kind of been a pioneer in the search space and in the social space, you know, what I'm trying to do is you, you get the SpaceX shirt on. I'm always joking, you know, 
We're just trying to colonize the earth. You know, <laughs> we'll do Mars in 2035, maybe Mars. We'll probably there hit the you moon go. first, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when Nomad X gets to, are you saying that we should buy Nomad? I don't think you guys are a public company, but uh, we're going to have to buy stock before you guys get to Mars because then it's going to get huge. But yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, it's, it's the thing that with this pandemic, I've been, you know, speaking with a lot of people and I'm like, this has been the best like reason for you to also go into like invest and getting like becoming a global citizen and getting, you know, dual citizenships. Because for example, uh, I'm getting married in October, but I have uh, a European Union citizenship from Bulgaria. And so when the US passport went from being one of the best passports to have to like one of the worst passports to have, um, nobody can leave. But I could have gotten to the European Union if I wanted to. Uh, now my uh, fiance is really itching to get this uh, wedding, you know, out of the way. And I'm like, are you, is there like a, you know, a hidden agenda here? Why, uh, why you're so interested in this? Uh, but speaking of the future, you know, I, I totally agree with you. I think that this pandemic has really brought into what I thought was going to happen in five to 10 years. It's really sped up the process. We're seeing all these large companies going remote, you know, Facebook, Twitter, they've all announced, uh, you know, going remote. I spoke with a friend who has a big, um, you know, company down in Austin. And he was saying is like, you know, uh, they might be getting rid of their offices, you know, cause it's so much overhead uh, that they'd be saving. So where else do you think this is going? Like, you know, with your kind of uh, viewpoint, uh, what is the next 10 years going to look like now that the pandemic has really sped up that process? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think, uh, you know, I think the, uh, the future, I guess the first, this first wave of digital nomads, I guess with yourself included, and probably a lot of the people that are on this show is uh, none of the foundation has really been there. I mean, some of the apps are there and you can work remotely mm -hmm. and you've got the, your, your mobile device and you can work for pretty much from anywhere. I think we're going to start seeing more global Wi-Fi. I think the SpaceX, you know, through their constellation that they're creating, um, you know, it's going to offer high speed Wi-Fi, hopefully anywhere throughout the world. So whereas like 50% of the world only gets, you know, Wi-Fi today, that other 50% soon going to have it, let's say in the next five to 10 years, no problem. So that's really going from an educational perspective and just opening up the world for digital nomads to explore to places they never thought they could actually visit before because it was just too remote, too out there. I think, I think what you're going to see following this pandemic is like I was talking about before, you know, a lot of people have been going to the cities, but I think what you're going to find is a lot of people looking to get out of the cities, so going more to the beaches and the mountains. And, and maybe spending more time even in camper vans, for example, so driving instead of flying. So that's kind of what we're seeing in the short term. But I think long term, what you're going to find is a lot of people are going to be, you know, digital nomads. I think the term we like to use is more nomadic professionals, because what we see is like, you know, finding a, maybe you're a digital nomad for a year, you find a home base and you're there in Bulgaria. I'm, I love Portugal. This is my home base. And then I can do my traveling from here. So we really see that, you know, where you find instead of just being born somewhere and you're stuck living there kind of finding your home base, finding your community, and then the ability to be flexible and even moving around from there. So we definitely see, and I think it's going to be a large percentage of the population, especially knowledge-based workers. So instead of like taking a one week or two week vacation, people are going to be more you know, traveling for a month or two at a time, coming home and uh, just having these amazing experiences, getting rejuvenated. I think it's, there's only so much you can work from home or so much you can work from a co-working space. Like at some point, you need to be re-energized. And so going into new markets like here in Lisbon, even attending some of the conferences, meeting with other people, you know, to constantly be around people that are helping to push you to become better, helping to expand yourself um, in terms of cultural orientation and just 
really getting a good feel for what's out there. You come back a much stronger employee, a lot more energized. I think a lot of people are burned out these days. So I think this mm -hmm. lifestyle, although it can be very, very intense, it does offer a lot of flexibility. So I think people really need to take advantage of that to get away, get into the mountains once in a while, get out, do a surfing adventure, get out and do some hiking. In addition to you know, all of the online uh, screen time that they've got, you know, I think this, the screen time hopefully will go down. Hopefully at some point, someone's going to innovate something better than a cell phone. So just to kind of open our worlds a little wider. So I definitely think, yeah, we're going through a time when there's going to be massive amounts of innovation and uh you know hopefully hopefully humans won't be put out to pasture pretty soon like the like the cows and the horses and everything else that might be our a reality in 10 years but you know, hopefully not with all the ai and everything that's going on but and hopefully maybe if people will start visiting the moon and you know there'll be a hotel on the moon maybe in 10 years and we can all go up there and check it out <laughs> yeah for sure i uh i when, when you were talking i just thought about this i know I don't know if you know who Naval Ravikant is, um, but he had this great quote that I heard him say that uh, people are meant to work like lions, right? You shouldn't just work, you know, this like constant steady amount of work. What you should work is like work really, really hard for like a week or two or a month and then go and like relax and like decompress and then come back and like work again. While we have the complete opposite thing, which he basically says is like, the current work process was built during the industrial revolution where you needed to go into the, you know, the, the uh, factory and like crank out work all the time. But he's saying is like with this, you know, remote work and all of these gig economy sort of things like Upwork, uh, which has a lot of problems, but I think is a start. Mm -hmm. It allows you to almost fall more into that work like a lion mentality, which I really like. And I, and I think it sounds like you agree with. Yeah, I think, it, you know, everyone's a little bit different. And for me, I like to do that. Like I want to work intensely for periods mm -hmm. of time. At some point, I just get exhausted or I just wear myself out. So I definitely have to recharge. I need to take a break. For me, a lot of times that's going on even just a week long, like hiking adventure. And just, mm -hmm. you know, in that period, I also come up with a lot of creativity and a lot of ideas. So although I'm not actually working, I'm processing things in my mind that I wouldn't be able to normally sitting in front of a cell phone screen or in front of my computer. So I really believe in like getting out there in nature, having th things that you're know, outside of just your work. But I do believe in like when you have an opportunity and you're really trying to take advantage of it, you do need to really work hard because mm -hmm. you're competing against someone else. It's like being a professional athlete. Like if you're not putting the time in, someone else is. But I think if you want to have more of a lifestyle business, you know, this, this new way of working creates that opportunity where you don't have to work eight hours a day or you don't have to work 12 hours a day. You can work four hours a day. So I think that, you know, I think what you're going to see is a lot more people, instead of working salary jobs, working nine to five, people are be getting paid more for the projects that they complete, you know, more of like the Uber model where, you know, you, you deliver a driver, you get paid, you do this, you get mm -hmm. paid. Instead of getting paid every two weeks or every month or whatever it might be, you're getting paid more real time as you complete projects. And so if you want to put in 20 hours in a day and get paid for 20 hours, but you don't want to work the next week. It doesn't matter, you know, so I think right. that's really the direction things are going in. So I think this younger generation, you know, I think uh, you just got to kind of find your rhythm, you know, what works for you, because what works for me may not work for someone else. And so that's why I really like the idea of having, you know, remote, our company is remote first, everyone's remote, the company, everyone kind of works their own hours. Obviously, we do have some, some calls people have to be on and stuff, but I feel like, yeah, let people find their own rhythm, find their passion you know, try and really get people sort of really excited and, you know, really mm -hmm. pumped up about the business and not feel like they're being managed, but let them be very entrepreneurial. Is that the way I like to run things? 
What are some of your tips for, uh, you know, like managing a remote team? Uh, that's a good one. Cause I, I would say I'm not a very good manager, so I'm, I'm more like CEO. So it's like, uh, I've been doing that since like, since 1998. So it's been a long time for me. It's hard for me to go back into like a managerial sort of role. If I'm getting involved operationally managing people, then we're in trouble, but I do do it once in a while. Um, for running yeah, tips for running a remote company, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the main thing for me is to just, you have to build a relationship with the people in the company. So in my previous companies, I would go to the office and I'd meet with people and we would, you know, catch up, but I wouldn't necessarily meet with every employee every week and have like a, a one-on-one, but now I've been doing a lot of the one-on-ones because I feel like that's the only time I get to really catch up with the employees, hear how their day's going. Here's what they did. What did they do for the weekend? You know? And in addition to the work stuff, so you really need to carve out that personal time with your team members and really make that investment. I feel like they really, really value that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think having regular calls with them, you know, all kind of the standard stuff, you know, the tech teams, they like to do their standups. You know, our company, we usually just do like a weekly call with the company. I do a weekly call with the executives. Um, but yeah, trying to find a rhythm. I think when you have new people coming on board and you're part of a remote company, getting together once in a while is super important. So I think ideally at least twice a year, I find that after about six months, you start to lose connection a little bit. So I think every three to six months is really ideal to catch up with the team. And if you're working on a smaller project team, you try and get that team together, especially early on in the relationship. If you wait too long, sometimes the relationship can kind of erode. It's like a long distance relationship. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you got to really, you have to be there in person once in a while. If you don't have the in-person, I feel like you're missing a lot of like the important connection and strategic aspect of the relationship and really building trust with your team members. You obviously can do it without it, but I do feel like that's super important as well. So there is like a human element to the whole thing. Um, there's obviously a lot of technology available. Everyone's got kind of different technologies they like to use, but you know, we're, we're using Slack a lot, using the Zoom, you know, using, um, you know, we were using Asana and a lot of these project management tools, I feel like can be helpful. Um, for us, I don't like to build too much process too early because I feel like in the early stages, I want the business to be very entrepreneurial and let the business kind of evolve, not build too much process early. So once we nail down the business model, once we nail down, this is the market fit, then we start getting into more like heavy processes and how do we scale the teams and all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, I'm obviously a very like remote, focus like all remote kind of guy but i totally agree with you in, in meeting in meeting with your teams like uh, i actually really like uh, i don't know if you ever heard of empire flippers but i really like their model of i've heard them obviously they're not doing this right now but they do like every i think like two or three times a year they get the whole team together for like a retreat and what they say is like it like recharges the batteries and then it lasts until the next time they all get together and they found that that is this perfect for them at least like mix of like Hey, we're getting together, but then everybody is still remote uh, and they're getting the best of both worlds kind of. Now, yeah, I think when um, you do that too, it's like, it's important to not just make it about work because mm -hmm. I think a lot of these companies get together and they have all their work meetings, but I think almost splitting it half work, half fun, really yeah. get that bonding time in there. Do some really cool, epic shit together, basically. For you sure. Know? Yeah, and it's almost more about that being together and having fun together because you can always build like, like, professional rapport but it's about the water cooler stuff you know what i mean the, the stuff that can't really happen over a slack message or a zoom call yeah i totally agree man 
Well, Dave, uh, I, I've loved having you on here. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been uh, such a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, let people know, where can they find out more about NomadX if this sounds like uh, you know something they want to check out next time they're on the road? And where can they find out more about you and connect with you? Yeah, definitely. Just, just hit up our website, nomadx.com. I would highly recommend checking out our Facebook group, uh, which is a private Facebook group for NomadX, the number one support group for remote workers. Check it out. My business partner, Ali Nold, runs it. We've got some amazing digital nomads in there who are offering tons of value bombs, tons of tips to the community, kind of like what you're doing. We'd love to have you on the show as well. So if you're interested, the, the, the invitation's open, they're reciprocal. But yeah, to reach out to me directly, you can just uh, find me on LinkedIn like you did, or just email me directly, dave at nomadx.com. I'm happy to answer any questions. Anyone that wants to come to Portugal, the place is amazing. Now's a great time to come. They say, you know, COVID's gone up here a bit, but it's really just in some isolated neighborhoods in Lisbon. The rest of the country is amazing. And if you get out of the cities to the beach areas or to the mountains or to the islands, it's really, really incredible. So I encourage all of your listeners to come check out Portugal because I, I, I think like once you come here, you, you're going to, you may never leave again. Or when you do leave, you're going to come back and find yourself here like I am. <laughs> So. Yeah, I can definitely testify to how nice uh, Portugal is. I, I really loved it there. Well, Dave, thank you again so much and uh, all the best, man. All right. Awesome, man.